tuning in to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is the show where we help therapists grow without the grind and take small steps towards big, big growth. Uh, this week, we talked a lot about uh, delegation and outsourcing tasks. I wanted to share with you a webinar I am doing with Dr. David Hall, Hidden Strategies to Smart Work Scaling. The subtitle is Three Insider Tips to Therapist Growth with Virtual Support. In this webinar, we're going to giving we're going to be giving some tips on working with virtual assistants, working with automations, and also working with AI for doing things like administrative tasks, marketing, and content creation. And I want to help you take advantage of the tools that can be available to you right now to grow and scale your practice. So go to the show notes on coursecreationstudio.com and click the link to sign up for the webinar. This webinar is going to be held on June 6th, and I hope to see you there. Hello, and welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marland with Dr. David Hall. Hello, David. Hi, James. This week, we're going to be talking about scaling as a solo practice. It's very exciting to talk about. But first, we're going to get into our tool tech or tip of the week. David, what uh, what tip do you got for us? Um, a podcast episode I want to share that I was, I was, James and I were talking offline. I shared it with him. At the end of last weekend, it's a podcast that I've talked about before on this show. I'll probably continue to talk about it because it's one of my favorite podcasts, but it's called The Online Course Show with Jacques Hopkins. It used to be called The Online Course Guy, and I, he rebranded it at some point. And, but it is episode 194, and it comes out at the end of January of 2023. But it's titled, If I Were Starting an Online Course Business in 2023. Here's exactly what I would do. And it's one of the shorter episodes. It, it's, I think it's right at like 30 minutes or something like that, or close to it, 34 minutes. And because it usually runs about an hour, an hour and a half. And, you know, part of his story is he started his podcast in, I think it was like 2017, talking about his process of, of doing online courses. He has a piano course called Piano in 21 Days, and that's how he makes his living. And it's just been one of my favorite podcasts as somebody who creates a lot of online content and sells online courses, even though I'm in a very different niche than he is. I've gotten so many great ideas and I I just, I, I kind of really like these kind of back to basic sorts of things. And it's really mm -hmm. kind of this quick overview of, because he started his online course, I think in like 2013 and had, has done several updates as different technologies have, have become available and, and that's the neat thing even since i've been doing things uh, i started really putting things online in 2019 and the tools and platforms and things that are available and how i understand how to use them has changed so drastically and so if i was starting what i was doing over again i would have some different angles i would approach it. anyway i just thought it was really for anyone with any interest in exploring online commerce uh, and whether you have an online course or a membership or digital product or whatever it is, um, it's a great, and podcasts are great because it's a free resource to be able to, to get some other perspective. So yeah, I was great. enjoying that this last week. And so I wanted to share that. So again, online course show 
with uh, Jacques Hopkins, episode 194. If I was starting an online course business in 2023, what would I do? Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I listen to that show almost every week, too. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a really good, really good information. Mm-hmm. Um, inspiring, too. So uh, my tip of the week is a little low tech, I guess, but I I'm going to suggest putting things in your calendar. Uh, that, uh, at the end of January, I was getting a little frustrated with like all the things I wanted to do for the year and my goals. And so I just simply took out a piece of paper and wrote down, okay, what do I, what, what courses do I want to launch in the month? What are my projects for the month? What are my responsibilities and, and put them in a calendar for the month. And, and I also have the list on the month. So when people ask me, you know, what, what do you want to do for this month or what what can we launch or what projects do you want to work on? I can kind of feel out my schedule in a in a big overview mm-hmm. uh, area and I can say yes or no based on mm-hmm. data rather than, oh, I think I can I think I have time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my tip is a little low tech, but your calendar is very useful. And then. um you can also mm-hmm. add, add like things like ClickUp or or um, Trello for deadlines and stuff. So uh, use your calendar, get it out of get it out of your head and onto paper, and you're gonna thank yourself later. So yeah, that's that's my tip. Yeah, I use Trello, and and here's something I would add to that because it's something that frustrates me, and I have to tell myself I use a calendar imperfectly, and I think sometimes people will if if you might be a naturally organized person. I'm not. And so what happens for me is I get like, I I was a child in the eighties and nineties. And one of the big things that was a big deal when you would start the school year back then was your trapper keeper. Mm -hmm. And I would start the school year with a new trapper keeper and it would be organized. And I would have these ambitions of how, like I'll put these papers here and use these tabs and all that. I was the sort where my trapper keeper, my school locker, would just get piles and yep. piles and it would just be. And what I would tell myself is, well, I can't be organized. And to a certain extent, that's kind of true. But the unhelpful cognitive distortion in that is is the all or nothing way of thinking mm-hmm. about things. And so where I present it to myself is I can always be more organized. And so I keep on coming back to my calendars, even though I don't use them to their fullest extent or as a discipline, it is still better than nothing. And it still helps me. Like I've got a whiteboard in my office that on the edge of it, which is right in front of my desk, I have my launch schedule for 2023 for online courses. Now it's already wrong at this point because I've already changed things and, but it's, it's about 60% still correct. And looking at it is still helpful because, okay, like this is at least reminds me that that like I'm working on some time frame. And so, yeah, do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good or the improved. So I, w- I would concur about the calendar. One, one of the quote, I think it was a military person said planning, planning is essential. Plans are useless or something like that. Like you, the planning is essential. But when you when. When it gets down to it, sometimes your own plans are useless. So sure, but it doesn't mean the planning's not. That is correct. So the planning is very useful. All right. So great. 
uh, those are the tips of the week. Um, if you found anything useful or if you have a tip of the week, just send me an email, james at coursecreationstudio.com. Maybe we'll mm -hmm. read some uh, uh, listener listener tips. I'd love to add some of that in. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, David, we're talking about growing or scaling as a solo practice. Um, I think a lot of people start out solo, right? I mean, how many, how, is it odd to start out in a group practice or is it normally well, solo? What do you mean? Like it, it it's the, statistically, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there's more solo practitioners than people that join as a group, but, but maybe that's, I don't know. I think sure. okay. where you are, like I've, I worked in a group. Like, if you mean like, is it more Owning. common as an entrepreneur to start yeah. a solo practice than it is to start a group practice? Yes, I'd say so. But yeah. a lot of people end up working in group practices. And mm -hmm. um, I worked for eight years, well, 10 years in two different ones, uh, two years in one and eight years in another in somebody else's group practice. And so that was my practice journey where I was a, um, the first practice I was at 1099 and then I was at W2, but it was, it was in a lot of ways like solo practice, except I was an employee. I was paid proportionally of the client of my client fees, but I was still, my income was based on client fees. And so in that way it mirrored solo practice in certain respects, not in others, but I, you know, as far as. Yeah. What's, what's your experience? As oddly a... enough, none. And that's the, oh. that's the, something we were joking about. Like I, We've talked a lot about the show because, you know, I have a fairly wide experience as therapist goes in the different things I've done. I've in the settings I've worked, I've worked in, you know, residential treatment, worked in group practices, I've worked in psychiatry, I've done online courses, I've done seminars, and and I've just that's just been part of my journey. But one of the things I've never done is I've never been in solo practice. I went from working in a group practice to starting a psychiatry practice, which we talked about that in a previous episode, mm -hmm. but that was a interesting journey. And when I got out of that, out of being in a psychiatry practice, I immediately went into running a group practice. I went from to immediately into three people, myself and two other people. And so I was in a small group, but a group. And so I didn't have that solo practice phase and that was on purpose. I, I never sought that for certain things, but, uh, but it is certainly a lot of people's journey. And so what James and I wanted to talk about today was how to get the most out of it, that if you want to grow and scale, but your phase is solo practice, how to get the most out of solo practice. And not just because some people think the idea of, well, I'm in solo practice, I want to scale, I need to start a group. And that is one way to scale. But we're not going to talk about today. that today. We're going to talk about how to get the most growth and and scaling out of solo practice great so um some people you know their their per their dream job is the solo practice right they work for themselves they see who they want to see um they're their their own managers but um besides some of those things like why would why would somebody want to be in a solo practice like you you're thinking oh if i'm going to grow i got to like get higher employees and buy buildings and do all this stuff but why mm -hmm. why would somebody want to be a, a solo practitioner you know, depending on what you're moving from it can mean different things so let's say you're employed or contracted under somebody else 
mm -hmm. in a group practice, or let's say you work in community mental health for, for that person, solo practice means a, a typically greater return of income for your therapy time. If you're working, you know, this was my journey in working for a group practice of, I kept a portion of my client fees and the practice kept a portion of my client mm -hmm. fees. And if I was in solo practice, I would in a theory, keep a higher portion. Now there, here's why I say in theory, um, people can get pretty, uh, starry eyed about when they look at their income numbers of what they think they can make in solo practice, uh, versus but, working in a agency. Yes. Right? Yes, but it, it's, there are factors that I think sometimes are easy to diminish, like what does running a practice cost? Yeah. Um, there's there's um, intake flow. That was a big thing that kept me in group practice for a lot of years was um, I worked for a pretty established group practice and there was a lot of intakes that came into that. And I could not have seen, I if I was in solo practice, I could have kept more of my client fees. But that's only helpful if you have the clients. Right. Um, but to the point of, of why you, you can keep, you know, depending on how you're managing your overhead, you can keep a higher proportion of client fees versus sharing it with some other entity. Uh, and if you have a good referral network, um, then, you know, that solves one problem uh, of things. But for a lot of people, it, it usually represents, if they're going from definitely from agency work, like if you're doing community community mental health but other things as well it usually represents an income increase that's one reason people would want to do it um there's oftentimes a greater sense of autonomy mm -hmm. you know I, I, of of being able to make decisions as a as a you know in that sense a small business owner um you can make all different sorts of decisions on i, I think one of the big things for me when i left group practice was uh i i worked for a a group practice owner who's a psychologist and he didn't like it when I wore jeans to work. And so I was encouraged <laughs> to, and, uh, he, he wanted us to, the men to wear slacks or, mm -hmm. or khakis. And I'm a pretty casual person. I, I struggle in my own group practice sometimes to, to, <laughs> to set my, to keep my own standard. But, yeah. uh, I, I felt there was a generational gap too of what, you know, what casual slash you know professional look like and and depending on where you are in the world there are different standards i think of someone i knew who was a solo uh, practice person in charleston south carolina and he wore a suit every day mm -hmm. and that was just the culture that he was in of what was expected i'm i'm i can get away with a bit more so anyway just when i was my own boss i got to decide well this is what i'm going to wear and I think of a friend of mine, she started her solo practice in recent years, leaving group practice. And, you know, she loved um, just having decisions on the decor of her space that she had more freedom on. Uh, she set up a home office where she set up um, a suite attached to her house. And so she would talk about, like, my commute got a lot better. Uh, uh, she got to, uh, and so... You know, I think there's autonomy. I think there's income increased potential. Um, and some some people just enjoy also the simplicity of, of kind of greater solitude in their work. You know, I, I think of yeah. the conversation I had with one person of that. They were tired of 
company birthday parties. They're tired of, and I like that sort of thing, but I, I realize for certain people, it's like, you know, I don't want to do another event, another team building sort of thing. Just let me, leave me alone. Let me do my work. And, mm -hmm. um, so I, I think the autonomy, uh, the simplicity and the income are typically the big things that drive people. Yeah. Uh, I, um, my, my experience is only working inside an agency and some of the things that people would, um, some of the, the therapists would complain about is they didn't get to choose how many clients they saw. They were mm -hmm. sort of, they sort of felt like on a treadmill. That was one of the big reasons people would leave is they had all this mandated paperwork and mandated like how many clients they saw and the bonus structure was a little weird and and uh it just felt it just felt like you know you're doing all this work but not getting all the reward and of course the agency provided the things that you were talking about like clients and a space but you know what what as you've said before what pain are you going to pick you know what mm -hmm. what is your pain point that you want to pick and if if you're comfortable with like that paycheck then you you can stay with the agency but if you are interested in doing something more or having more of those mm -hmm. those freedoms and decisions then mm -hmm. there there isn't much you can do unless you decide to go solo mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's one of the one of the questions though that was you 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 brought up is one of the the benefits you know you get paid more money but one of the challenges was you got you're responsible for all the the costs so mm -hmm. I, I was i was trying to like bite my tongue saying like what are those challenges because i know we have this this the set the next section is what are the challenges of being uh, a solo practitioner and one of them was costs so we can start there like what what costs more you know, oh, you just gotta, you just gotta wake up and see people, right, David? Right? Um, I mean, you can. There, there are issues with it. I, I, um. So I'll start off this idea. You asked the question of cost, and that's a moving target, depending on when someone is listening to this. It may have changed. Mm -hmm. I know in my arc, my career arc, it's been different. So my very first job out of grad school, I worked for an LPC in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was, so I worked in a group practice, but it was really low overhead uh, support or really there wasn't a lot of structure to the practice. It, it was, there was no reception staff. I, it, in a lot of ways, it was like being in solo practice where I had, I had my office space, and but I was responsible for most things. I ran my own schedule. I booked clients. I took phone calls. Like there wasn't a central line. There was lots of stuff. So, uh, and this was in 2006. So quite a bit of time ago for a lot of people, you know, getting close to 20 years, which is just <laughs> nuts for me to think about. Uh, so I had... You know what running a practice in that so we'll we'll treat that as i was a version of solo practice mm -hmm. um i my office phone was my cell phone i know a lot of people do that now um there there are more options now having to be out of your cell phone where they're um, in my office we have desktop phones but i also all my staff have a uh a voip which is mm -hmm. uh, 
so it's an app based thing where it allows them to have to make office phone calls on their cell phone without it being their cell phone number because generally it's it's a you know different practices run differently i i don't like um i i I think that's an important boundary just uh yeah i would agree with that I know therapists that do it. That's just the nature of how they run their office or how things are, but I don't text with clients. I don't, that's just a boundary I have, but I I had less of an option then because they needed a way to get in touch with me. And so I ran things out of a cell phone. I did all my notes by hand. I had physical files where I would write out my psychotherapy notes. Uh, I had a, a calendar book, which is where I kept my appointments and I, I, set up codes so i so i I wasn't giving away client information i I had like a legend that i kept separately of clients and what their uh uh, code initials were yeah uh to kind of put in and then write that in calendar and so that was uh that was how i did it then um now most of us run out of electronic health record systems and there there are a lot of options to choose from but that allows you to handle your billing and like that was the you know i i we I, we had a credit card machine in my office i didn't pay for that that was my my boss paid for that but i literally had to take credit cards from clients and run credit cards and i, I i've not touched a credit card from a client in years uh because it's all part of the ehr system now all mine client reminders and and now telehealth is something that's and so there's i bring that up because there's a lot more that makes it simpler now right but it also represents expenses you know i my expense for my notes before was paper and and folders and now if you're in solo practice you tip you you i would treat as you need to have an ehr so that's a monthly expense. You need to have malpractice insurance. In the group that I run, we offer a group malpractice insurance policy. But if you're in solo practice or you're 1099, you have to maintain your own malpractice insurance. There's um, any advertising you do. Like a lot of people will do an online profile on the different directories, uh, sometimes multiple. So whatever you're doing for advertising, there's that. Um, Web page. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a website, like a lot of EHRs, you can, they'll have website builders, but you, you need to have a website. Like I, when I started, uh, almost 20 years ago, a lot of therapists didn't have websites, but you can get away with that less and less. Now I'm very distrusting of a business that doesn't have a website right now. I'm mm-hmm. I'm often fearful. I'm going to be murdered when I go to that place. Uh, if Are they if, even real? Yeah, are they even real? If all I see is the street view picture on Google Maps and there isn't any further information, I sometimes look and like, am I going to go into that building and will I come back out? So that may be a bit melodramatic, but but there's caught and and this is the same thing if you're an independent contractor, but you have to pay self-employment tax. That's the thing of that I offer people that work for me in group practice is they're W two employees. And so I pay as their employer part of their employment and taxes. And that's um, not an insignificant percentage. Uh, I think it's like 7.68%. I have looked in a little bit, but it, it's that that, they, that you have to pay for yourself. And so if you're self-employed, you've got to be, ideally, if you're self-employed, you want to be doing quarterly um, estimate uh, uh, 
tax payments. Otherwise, you know, you may end up with penalties if you just pay your tax bill once a year. And that means, and I, I know a lot of people that this throws them off because they've got, you know, they get their money in and they think, oh, you know, great. And then they get a tax bill and they hadn't put enough aside for their taxes right. or they underestimated what they have. And so you, you have to be a little bit of an accountant. You have to be an accountant you have to be an office manager and you have to be in, and I'm just describing what it is too for a cash practice. Yeah. If you're doing insurance, that's its whole other thing too, where you have to either, you're doing your own insurance filing, which I know therapists will do in solo practice, or you have to pay somebody for that. Either pay them an hourly rate or a flat fee or a percentage of your, and so all that becomes expenses for you being in solo practice. And that's an expense and complications. It also be kind of isolating and lonely. Yeah. Um, most, not all, but most things I hear about ethical violations or legal violations that therapists can get into. This isn't an absolute, but I, I, I'm odd like this where I, I will read the disciplinary reports for my state licensure boards. Uh, part of it, I just like keeping up with, you know, what's happening and you know, what's affecting my profession and things like that. And I've, I'll come across the stories of people that are censured or even have their licenses taken away because they cross boundaries or want um, maintaining records or, and a lot of them, they're on their own. And I think there's something about when you're in isolation, there's the emotional toll of that, but it's also easy to let a lot of things slide that yeah. if you had the accountability of even sweet mates, you uh, maybe not have quite in the same way. Yeah, those are some significant challenges. And and I, um, unlike you, or no, unlike your your people who said they miss birthday parties and stuff, that's one of the, or they don't miss it. That, that's one of the things from working from home for the last four or five years now is mm -hmm. I do miss some of the birthday parties and also the accountability and like the, the sharpening of, some meetings, not all meetings, but some meetings, you know, where you, you talk about things and plan for things. I remember they had group supervision in, in the agency and going to those and like hearing about other cases and learning things, even though it was, you know, somewhat mandatory for the, the license or whatever, the facility license or whatever they were doing. Um, it was, it was, a it was human contact and learning, you know, learning together and, one one of the challenges of being alone all the time is you got to find another outlet for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, any other challenges before we move to what are what is the best way to get the most out of solo practice? Um. Yeah, I, I it, it relates to the sen the sense of community. You know, we talked about community as accountability, but there's also the community as it relates to a sense of solidarity or support. So um, I, I think of what the experience was is to be in practice at the beginning of the COVID pandemic in 2020. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of hard shifts that people in mental health had to do. And it, it's weird to think about now, but a lot of us had very minimal, if any experience at all with telehealth. Right. And, and then I had done a very minimal amount of 
telehealth in 2020 before as 2020 was started. And the EHR I used, they actually had like a month before lockdowns had happened or maybe two months, but it was fairly recently in that time frame. They had just rolled out their, their uh, integrated telehealth feature. And that was a very fortunate thing to be able to have access to because uh, people were a lot more EHRs now have it standard, but in spring 2020, there were a lot that didn't. And so people were trying to figure out like they were, you know, doing zoom and trying to figure out what was HIPAA compliant and right. Teladoc. And there were all these different things that people were trying to figure out. And a lot of people I knew in solo practice were calling me for my advice. and like, what do I do? Because there was all this, they were trying to figure out like, how do I maintain, how do I maintain my livelihood? How do I, and I bring this up because you're in solo practice. Oftentimes you're trying to figure out these hard things on your own. When you're faced with an ethical dilemma, Mm -hmm. When you're faced with a business um, struggle, it's on you. You've got to figure yeah. out like, and, uh, you know, I'm, I have the benefit of, you know, I'm business partners with my wife, who's another therapist. And so she and I have the ability to lean on each other. And even, you know, staff, we have the, you know, I, I wasn't making, I had to make decisions of how we were going to navigate things but i wasn't making the decisions in a vacuum i had kind of a community around me where we were kind of in it together and i think my anxiety would have been quite uh quite a bit more heightened Mm. if i was on my own in that and and you know that's a pandemic but there are other things too just you know what happens when the unexpected happens because the unexpected will always happen in business Mm. and between you know a physical issue in your building to you know, some law passes and, you know, like a thing that happened in recent years was the no surprises act of how people now have to disclose. And, you know, those are things you have to figure out on your own if you're on your own. So I I would add that as another challenge. Okay. So what are, what are some ways people can get the most out of their solo practice? Like for the people who are like, I love to be a solo practitioner this is, I'm not, I don't have dreams of like hiring people or buying other buildings or doing other things, but they still want to grow and scale and kind of like maximize their time and maximize their return on investment. What are some ways a solo practitioner can grow and scale? There are two ways to categorize your time in solo practice. Mm-hmm. There's your therapy time, which is, you know, and and that's the time you get paid for. It's the time you're doing therapy. Um, and I would add your documentation and notes in that as well. I've, I've talked to therapists that sometimes they forget that their documentation is a part of the therapy work. And, you know, you can't treat that as, as extra. But there's the there's the therapy part. And then there's everything else. Yeah. And everything else is is communicating with your landlord. Or if you have your own mm. uh, building, it's managing all the things that require, you know, making sure that there's enough toilet paper and that the bathrooms are in working order and that the lobby, if you have a lobby, isn't messy or you take your pick on all that. You know, is the roof leaking is, you know, uh, you know, there's the physical space. There's, you know, if, if you have an insurance-based practice, it's the billing. Mm-hmm. it's dealing with that it is 
client communication outside of the therapy time. Like, how do you, how do you book people? How do people book? It's returning phone calls. It's returning emails. It's, uh, it's, it's everything else. And usually the, everything the, else is, yeah. Well, all the hats, like, yeah. you're, you're like all the things that like, okay, I'm a therapist. So I take off my therapist hat. I got to like empty the trash can. I'm the janitor. Okay. I got to do the, the, the landlord stuff. Okay. I'm, I'm a, I'm a building renter. You know, you're like switching yeah. your hats. You're an accountant. Uh, sometimes you're kind of all these things. And yeah, generally efficiency in the scaling process is how do you streamline all the other stuff? Because usually solo practitioners feel the best where they find that they're able to spend the minimal amount of time on the non-therapy stuff. Yeah. And the maximum amount of time on that, that is both in the sense of reward because that's what they desire to do typically. And it's the most profitable use of your time because everything else is overhead time. It's not any time that's generating income. So, so thinking about how to streamline the process of everything else. How do you keep the therapist hat on the longest? Yeah. While streamlining the other systems and responsibilities that keep your business running and mm-hmm. full of clients. Yeah. So the things I recommend for that is, is you know, if you're in solo practice, uh, do kind of a self audit. Look at where, where's my time allocated and the things that are non-therapy related. How to, you know, brainstorm on what to do. And I'll give an example of something I did in my group practice of one of the things that I found from hearing from clients and and taking some questions would be people trying to find a therapist with openings because I, I have a fairly large group practice and this has become more of an issue the larger the group has gotten. So if you go to our website, there are over a dozen therapists with profiles to look through. Well, people would look through therapist profiles and choosing a therapist and because we have an online booking system where people can request a therapy appointment online, but they would go through and they would pick out a therapist. Oh, I really like this person. And they go to book and then realize this person isn't taking new clients. And it wasn't until they went to book and then I have to go back. And so they would do that a few times. And that became an issue the larger the practice got because there were more therapists for them to go through. And just the fuller, more therapists became. So I became aware of this as a problem. And it was both a problem where it was delaying clients from booking. Sometimes clients, because of the time it would take them, they wouldn't book in the end mm. because they would, you know, go through two profiles and realize that no one was, to, and they'd be discouraged and, or they would have to, they ran out of time and all come back and look again later. And there was that. And I also realized that I needed a way to funnel clients to therapists that had the openings. And because there were there would be therapists with openings but it would take clients or potential clients a while to get there and that was more phone calls i had to handle uh, as a practice administrator so i thought through this problem and i thought well what's a way for me to streamline this and what i came up with is i created a color coding system on our website that if you go on our website our my practice is haven counseling center you can find us at havencounselingcenter.com and you go to the profile pages of the therapist at least the time of this recording, everybody has, there's a legend at the top of the page saying that like, um, 
because every therapist profile has a colored ring around it. And depending on the color of the ring, it says that indicates where they are and how many openings they have. And right. it says at the top, there's a legend that says if they're on green, they can usually get you in within a few weeks. If it's a yellow ring, uh, they can, uh, you know, they, they have more limited openings for maybe certain client groups that they're not taking any more of certain things, but are of other, and there's a intake form for that. Or if they're red, I'll take new clients. Is this something you have to update manually? I do, uh, but I have a pretty, I use Wix as my website manager and that's pretty easy to update. And okay. uh, therapists just communicate that to me in the practice where they say, hey, I I'm, need to go to red. And it usually, it, it's not very time consuming. I can usually, you know, make the updates within a minute or two, but it streamlines the process of people booking because they can go through, a clients can look on the profile page, on the master profile pages and see like, okay, who's taking new clients or not? And so that really, and I found that increased uh, booking flow. People could book more easily online. And it decreased my time as a practice manager having to answer potential client questions. So people do this in different ways. They'll, they'll you know, refine their FAQ on their website or they'll, they'll do updates on their website copy, how they write about things of, if you find that you get a lot of questions on, do you take my insurance? You may need to highlight more in where clients are finding you and information about your insurance policies or what you take or what you don't. That, that takes me back to what you were saying in, uh, in, the, in the beginning about knowing where your time goes, mm -hmm. like take, uh, do a time audit. And there, there are plenty of like um, templates out there, I think, for for time audits, but one of the most useful things we did at the virtual assistant company was we did a time audit for where all our time was going. And then we saw where the hotspots were and we could apply resources to it. So for the therapist to do the same thing, if you're spending, you know, five hours a week on uh, insurance or five hours a week on scheduling or whatever it is, could you get a return on investment by hiring a virtual assistant and seeing three more clients? You know? Well, and that, that becomes the, yeah. The other thing is decide where you need help. Cause a lot of people yeah. are, are reticent to spend the money on a virtual assistant or an in-person uh, admin person, but you've got to look at, um, I, I don't mow my lawn and there are two reasons for that. First is I don't like mowing the lawn. I did it <laughs> when I was in high school. And I never like some people, I, I, it's very therapeutic for them. I know a lot of people that they love coming home and having a physical activity that's different from therapy. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy that for other sorts of things. I, you know, I'll do different yard work sorts of things. I, I enjoy certain yard work. Mowing's not one of them. So I don't mow for one. I don't like to do it. The second is it is much more efficient for me to pay somebody to do it. And, you know, cause I look at like, if I, the time it would take me to mow the lawn, if I did a therapy session, what's my return, right? My return for is, is much better for me to just do a therapy session instead. Because what I get paid for a therapy session is significantly higher than what I have to pay somebody to mow my lawn. And that becomes, you know, it, it's a logical exchange. And for you, if you enjoy certain admin things, then great. I don't want, no one wants to take your, you know, your joy in that. Yeah. But if, if this is stuff that 
is a barrier to you in in your time and you doing what you really want to do, then think about like, okay, what would a virtual assistant cost me to have them? Mm-hmm. You know, how many how many hours a week would I need somebody, and what would that cost? And what does that equate to my uh, income producing time? How many therapy sessions is that? And it's it's not complicated math. And just decide, like, is it worth it to me to do an extra therapy session a week and not have to return phone calls of having somebody that does intake coordinator work? I've, I've talked about this before, um, but Julie Harris, for her show, um, The Therapy therapy of Money, I think, she's from Green Oak Accounting. Uh, yeah. One of her freebies is an ROI calculator. So you can just plug in your numbers and see what's my break even and what's my my return. And, uh, uh, it's, it's, she does. So the math is done for you in a spreadsheet, but yeah, I'd, I'd, for any of these extra, uh, uh, expenditures, mm-hmm. it go, it's good to kind of see, is it worth it to do this type mm-hmm. of things? Cause there, there might be some, some expenditures that it's going to take you like three years to make your money back, or there's other things that it's only a couple months. So what? Mm-hmm. And so then when you give that work away, not only can you be more efficient, but then you don't have to do the things you don't have to do the things you don't like. Like you're not, we're not good at everything. We don't love everything about running a business. Mm -hmm. Uh, So find the one, the things you like and maximize that. And that's where you make a lot of your, your, Mm -hmm. that's where you get your joy Mm -hmm. first, but it's also where you make your most money. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Any, any other, uh, uh, you, you mentioned, um, I think it was in the pre-show about sharing expenses. I guess that's one more way of maximizing. Yeah. And that, that is a good, um, I love how you call the conversations we have offline the pre-show because it it assumes that people that like, cause you say like, when you say it like that, I know what you mean, but it sounds like a pre-conference would be like, Oh, for those who are with us in the pre-show, which is just maybe someday. Yeah. Maybe someday. (laughs) I don't know if that would be worth recording, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> most likely not, most but... likely not. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yes. And, and so it does become very few things are an absolute either or in business and lots of other things in life and solo practice doesn't have to be completely by yourself. And cause there are practices in town, uh, in my community and in a lot of communities that are true associate practices and what that will often mean. And I'll, I'll, one that comes to mind that several of my friends work in, um, they have certain shared expenses, but they're each individual businesses. Like they all are incorporated individually. They run their own EHRs. They have their own uh, practice insurance. People pay rent uh, to the same kind of master entity. However, um, there are things that they share in the way of expenses. Like they have a single website and people pay, you know, I, I think it's part of their associate agreement that they kind of share expenditure, but, um, there could be ways to have certain group practice feels where you can have a sense of community. You can have a sense of camaraderie with other people, but still be running your own business. And, you know, if I was ever in a place, I, I could see myself one day not wanting to be the principal of a group practice. It, it is, I I generally enjoy it, but I part of it is I don't assume anything forever. I don't assume that my life will always look 
business wise or personal wise in, in the, you know, the, there's certain things in my life I'm very committed to, uh, but they're short. Like I'm, I'm very committed to my wife. I'm very committed to my family, but outside of certain relational commitments, things are flexible. I, I'd like to be a good and loyal friend. I want to be, I want to treat my employees, um, well. But that doesn't mean I see that they're always going to work for me because they may choose not to work for me at some point. Right. And I may choose that they as individuals aren't going to work for me at some point or the business structure. I may just choose I don't want to do mm -hmm. business in this way anymore. Or there might be changes in my circumstances or the circumstances in our industry that how I run a business won't be viable in the future. And right. That may be hard in adjustment, but all that to say, I, I don't assume anything forever. I never imagined wanting to be like in an office by myself. Uh, but I could see being part of an associate group one day if, if in a different phase, uh, because I would want community. I would want things, but I could see like, well, but, you know, keep my part of the business simplified. And so that's, that's, I think, some way where people can, and you may be in a place where you have been truly solo, truly on your own, and you you're over some of the downsides of that, but you're not ready to hire people or you don't want to work for somebody else. You know, you can create an associate collaboration with other people and look at that. Using that, there's certain shared expenses and there are certain things that are still individual expenses, but it is a, a greater efficiency. Sometimes people in associates too, they'll, they'll pool resources to hire um, an, an intake coordinator and Mm -hmm. A virtual assistant doesn't have to be just your virtual assistant. It could be if you have an associate co-op, it could be part of the shared expenses. And so that makes it even more affordable. Great. Okay. So, uh, David, what's one thing you want people to remember from the episode or one, one thing that, uh, that is, Th this is my bias as a group practice person, I think against solo practice, uh, it is. D decide what headache you want to deal with because I think some people will go into solo practice thinking that it will make their lives easier and it might or it might not um, I've just seen people that they don't their overhead ends up being greater than what they think it's going mm. to be and um, I, I was talking to a friend recently who had he, he runs a small group practice and somebody recently left his employ to go on their own and she's complaining about the former employee about the expense of rental spaces. And because I think they had this idea of like, oh, I'll be able to make all of this much more money. It's like, well, they're realizing that rent is going to cost them far more than they anticipated. And is, I think is now having some regrets on their decisions. So know your numbers, know like, is it really going to be worth your time? Um, know yourself and to know. And so I guess it's just, you know, I, the one thing to take away is, is solo practice can be better. It's not always. Um, and that could be a self-serving bias as somebody who runs a group practice, but I wouldn't want to be in it. And, but if you are and you know your numbers and it fits your personality, then, uh, you know, that could be great, but. Sure. So, yeah, I was, I was going to have, my tip was going to be something like that because from, from, being on the other side of running a business and having all those extra expenses, it, it was, it was a struggle. 
it was more of a struggle than just like, oh, we're going to deliver this service and it's, you know, all this money is going to come in. But then then there were taxes and then there's mm -hmm. um, insurance, I don't know, all these expenses uh, there, which left a smaller pot. So know your numbers. But that was not I, my tip was going to be uh, know your time. Know your mm -hmm. time because uh, doing those time audits, they, they, they're nobody likes to do them. Okay. We'll get that out of the way. Nobody likes to write down exactly what they're doing, when they're doing, and what, how long it took them. Um, but it is so eye opening when you put all the data together and you're like, I spent 20% of my time doing this task that doesn't, you know, like email or something, like something that is not producing the bottom line it's not delivering on our promise it's not helping our staff it's it's something that it's just it needs to get done but it's a time waster uh it, it's eye-opening and uh we were we were doing we were doing time audits uh quarterly you know mm -hmm. in in the company just to see where our time was going and how to be efficient and it opened our eyes to like hey people get stuck on this process so what if we what if we did a training on that process or added some support and now all of a sudden mm. the the bump in the road goes away and they use their time more efficiently uh and as a practice you know a solo practitioner you know a time audit is going to help you figure out where it's going do you like doing it is it a strength for you if not can you can you delegate it or minimize it I highly recommend doing a time audit. It, it's very eye-opening. So that's my that's my tip of the week. Yeah, or my one thing. Yeah. Uh, right. we'll yeah. Who's gonna end? Go ahead. You end this, work. I, it, this is this good conversation. Happy for it. I hope this was helpful for whoever's listening to this. I have been Dr. David Hall, and this has been James Barlin with the Scaling Therapy Practice Podcast. And we'll see you all next time. Psych Maven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice Podcast. And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results, so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. Have fun with it. Thank you for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to remind you that the content shared today is for general information and entertainment purposes only. Opinions given should not be considered as legal or tax advice. If you need a professional advice in those areas, please consult with a licensed attorney or accountant. But thank you so much for listening. The Scaling Therapy Practice is part of the SciCraft Network.